Um, but for today, I want to share something that has very much become a motto in our church or just something that we say so often, that we believe so often. And that is that together we are pursuing the reason for which Christ has pursued us. That's what we believe as a team. When we gather together uh, and when we, when we speak about what we're doing, we, we're here together to pursue the reason for which Christ has pursued us, the reason why he laid a hold of us. And so um, the, the piece of scripture that I want to speak to you from this morning is in the book of Philippians chapter number three and verse 12. If you have your Bibles here, won't you just quickly open up for me at Philippians chapter number three. And verse 12, and I'd like to just read this piece of scripture and, uh, and, and share a message with you this morning called, um, entitled, Called to Adventure. Called to Adventure. Philippians 3 and verse 12, uh, Paul starts off Philippians 3 by talking about how he puts no confidence in his flesh. He puts no confidence, even though he has many things he can boast about. He is, he is according to the, the Jewish tradition, he is a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was, he was circumcised on the eighth day in, in all of the fleshly religious things that he could claim for himself. He has a lot that he can boast about. But he says, but I count all of those things as rubbish so that I may lay a hold of Christ. I simply want to, to know Jesus and Him crucified. And, and he speaks about what it means to not trust in your own strength, but to trust in the righteousness that comes from Jesus. Not a righteousness according to the law, he says, but a righteousness that comes by faith in Christ Jesus. What that means is, is that every single one of us have been made right with God. We are in a right relationship with God. Our sinfulness, the things that kept us from God, have been washed away by what Jesus did. And the moment you put your faith in Jesus, you stand before God as perfect in His sight. Now that's hard to believe because we're not even perfect in our own sight. We don't even see ourselves that way. But the scriptures say that in Christ we have been perfected forever. And now He is sanctifying us, but in Christ we're perfect. And, and so He says in Philippians 3 verse 12, Not that I have already attained... Or am already perfected in his earthly walk. There's still a journey that he's on. He's still becoming more and more and more the person that he already is in Christ. He's still experiencing the reality of it in his own life. But he says this, but I press on. I press on. Even though I'm not perfect, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. I push forward. I keep going. I don't stop, even though I'm flawed, even though I'm imperfect, even though I don't always do everything right, even though I'm not the person I'm supposed to be yet, I press on so that I can lay a hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid a hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature, mature in faith, mature in the gospel, think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. <laughs> I love that. He's like, you're not always going to think this way. 
the mature way about I want to do everything that I can to fulfill the call of God. We get distracted by many things in this world. We get distracted by many things in this life. We, we face our own imperfections and, and we struggle to press on. We struggle to walk forward. And, and what Paul is saying, just don't put your confidence in the flesh. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. That's what maturity does. It just keeps walking forward. And if you're not, if you get distracted, don't worry, God will reveal it to you. He's at work within you. He says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let us walk worthy of our calling. Let us, let us hold true to who we are in Christ and continue to walk out what God has for us. I want to share a message with you this morning entitled Call to Adventure. And I want us just to quickly pray together and we'll get into the scripture uh, in the time that we have left this morning. Father, we thank you so much that we get to stand before you uh, just unhindered this morning, Lord God. Father, that we do not put confidence in the flesh. We don't stand before you because of our own goodness. We don't, we don't walk before you because of anything that we've done to earn it or, or achieve a place in your presence, Lord God. But we are here because of your love. We are here because of your grace. We are here because you laid a hold of, of us, God. And now we, as mature believers, are earnestly seeking to lay a hold of that for which you laid a hold of us. We want to fulfill the purpose and the plans that you have for us, Jesus. We pray that as a church, we would do that. As individuals, we would do that. As a body, that we would do that. And that we would see miraculous things happen through the life of this community. And we thank you for it all. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. So often, uh, my family, we have a bit of a, of a routine or, or, uh, or something fun that we like to do on a Sunday afternoon, which is that after we go home from church and we've had lunch and we've taken a nap, which is like loosely defined as nap, you know, with three small kids, is that often what we do is that we get everybody dressed up and we go take a walk in the afternoon just down our road. We live down a road which is, is fairly quiet, and so we can walk with the boys down the road. And we walk to a certain point, turn around and come back home. And as they've become a little bit older and a little bit quicker and a little bit more mobile, uh, this presents in and of itself quite a challenge and leads to quite a bit of adventure, just trying to kind of shepherd the herd as we uh, walk in dangerous Joburg traffic. Um, and so we'll often be walking along and we have taught the boys very well that uh, when we're walking and the car comes, everybody just gets right off onto the side and we wait until the cars pass by before we move. And that's normally how it goes, um, except for this one occasion where my wife was with our twin boys on the one side of the road and I was with Eli, my older boy, on this side of the road. And at the very last minute, as the car was approaching, he decided that he was going to bolt and try and make it to mom. Um, and he, you know, he, he, he almost made it to his heavenly father instead. I mean, he was so close. It was like he was going to run right in front of the car um, at that moment. And, and I remember my wife screaming, and I, I kind of lunged forward with everything that I had within me and just kind of grabbed him at the back of the shirt. And I mean, he was so committed to it that, like, I think all four of his limbs went, like, kind of forward and, and, and like, in that motion. And I just kind of yanked him back from the road. And it was a really scary moment, um, but one that has just stuck in my mind regarding uh, what it is like when God steps into our lives, when God saves us, when God uh, brings salvation to us, is that in many ways, that is the picture of salvation, that we are heading towards destruction, uh, we're heading towards judgment for our own sinfulness, we're heading towards a place of brokenness, and as we rush into traffic, 
It's like Jesus steps in at the last moment and he grabs a hold of us. It's not like, like he, he gently kind of coerces us and go, hey, um, please don't run in, in traffic. You know, that car is about to hit you. It's like he steps in. There's, a, there's an intention uh, in God's heart to step into people's lives and to actually pull them back from destruction. That's what it's like. That's what Jesus did. He, he, that's what the scripture says when it says that he laid a hold of us. That Jesus laid a hold of you. Just think about that for a moment. The reason, even though you might, it might not feel that way, the reason why you're here, the reason why you're, you're, you're sitting in the place that you're sitting, the reason why you're walking in a journey with Jesus or considering walking on a, on, on a path with Jesus is because God has stepped into your life and laid a hold of you. He snatched us. He's grabbed us out of this place of destruction. That's, that's the heart of God for all of us. He saved us by His power, by His grace, by His work. And so, uh, as Jesus lays a hold of us, one translation says He pursues us. Now, we have, you may have heard uh, a lot being made of, and we, in, in songs and in worship, things that we do, and we've often spoken about pursuing God. Like, we want to pursue God. We want to pursue Jesus. And there's a certain context in which that is good, but there's also a certain context where we can miss it, where we feel like God is kind of sitting in one place, and He doesn't want to be found, and He's kind of hiding away from us. And it's our job to kind of go on this cosmic hide-and-seek to try and, and, and find Him, where the Scriptures actually says that He laid a hold of us, that He's the one who pursued us. And what we now pursue is not Him. We already have Him. He grabbed a hold of us. But instead, what we pursue is the reason, the purpose, the plan for which he pursued us. We want to lay a hold of that for which he laid a hold of us. What I want to tell you this morning is that God laid a hold of your life for a reason. There's a purpose. If your faith is in Jesus, you have that purpose. God has that purpose for your life. God saves us from many things, but he saves us to much more things. He saves you two things. He has good works. The Bible tells us in, in Ephesians 2, good works that God has prepared for us beforehand, before you were even formed, before you had even made one of your mistakes. He prepared good things for you to walk in. And so I want to talk a little bit around that this morning, the good things that God has prepared for us. And, 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 and what we are passionate about as a church is seeing each of us uh, become the people that God has created us to be. Just, just begin to walk in it. Just begin to experience it. And, and what God does in order for us to fulfill these plans and purposes that he has for our lives is the first thing that he does is that he imputes righteousness to us, which means he makes us right. We don't make ourselves right. We don't live right enough to a certain point. Then he goes, okay, now you're doing good enough so I can use you. He imputes righteousness. It's not from us. It's not our own righteousness. It's not our own sufficiency. It's not our own goodness. It's all Jesus. So he makes us righteous. He causes us to know God, to know our Father, to know the love of our Father. I heard something so beautiful uh, uh, from a guy who wrote the Passion Translation when I was in Portland. And I almost got the opportunity to, to meet him, but missed him by like a day. And he just took the Bible and wanted to bring out the heart of the Father in the Scriptures. And he spoke about how the, the word for, for making war or for being equipped is actually the same word for being loved. 
And what he was saying is that, and there was one specific verse that he used, but what that one scripture was saying is that how we get equipped for battle, how we get equipped to do the things that God has called us to do is by knowing his love. That's what equips you. You want to be equipped as a leader. You want to be equipped to do the things that God has called you to do. The first thing that you need to know is the love of the Father. You need to know how much you're loved, regardless of your sinfulness, regardless of your mistakes. You need to put no confidence in the flesh. That's what qualifies you as a leader, is knowing how unqualified you are. The most unqualified leaders are the ones that think they're qualified. None of us are qualified in our own strength to do what God has called us to do. We, we, we know that there are things that, that God is still helping us with, but we press on because we depend on His grace. And so the more we know the love of the Father, the more God begins to work in our hearts and the more He restores us. He takes broken situations and He turns them around. He takes heartbreak that you've experienced, things that have kept you from connecting with other people and from, from believing in yourself and from walking out the destiny that God has for you, disappointments that you've had and sensitivities that you have and emotional triggers that you have. God knows all of it. And he works with those things. He works a deep work of restoration in our hearts. He, he walks with us on the path and he is constantly revealing his goodness and his grace. He is constantly doing a work in our hearts. The Bible says that as we behold Jesus, as we look at him we, uh, in his glory, as in the, our, our own faces in a mirror, we are transformed from glory to glory into the image of his son as by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that incredible? Like all we need to do to be transformed is to continually look deeply into the eyes of Jesus, to see the identity that we have in him, to understand his grace, to understand his love. And what God does is he works a work of restoration in your life where you will end up doing things that other people who knew you before would go, there's no way they're doing that. There is no way that person is a pastor. There's no way that that person is, is leading a, a small group or a connect group at their workplace. There's no ways that that person just prayed for somebody and they got healed. We, we, we just can't see it happening. The Bible tells us that God doesn't look at us the way that people do. God doesn't look at you the way that the world does. The world will stereotype you, put you in a box and tell you what you can and cannot do. God looks at the heart. And when he looks in your heart, he sees what he deposited there. The things that he placed in you before the world began. Before you were even formed, he called you, he appointed you, he consecrated you. And so God's trust isn't even really in us as, as, as much as it is in his grace in us. It's Christ in us. And so we can have confidence in that. So he, he makes us righteous, he restores us. And then what he does is he takes us on this journey where he unfolds bit by bit by bit the glorious calling that he has on our lives. And if you're here this morning, it's because you have been called. It's because there has been a divine shout from the throne of God directly into your life before you were even born as a human being. Before you were formed, God knew you. And he put that shout, he put that command, he put that authority on your life. And nothing can remove it. Romans tells us that the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. They are without repentance. God will not remove them from it's the purpose for which you were created. 
And so not only do we get, do we get forgiven of our sins and, and made righteous and restored in our, in our own selves, but God then leads us on a journey, an adventure of becoming the people and fulfilling the destiny that he has for each of us. I believe that we are never more fully alive than when we are walking in our calling, when we're walking in the destiny that God has for us. And the sad thing is that in church, too many of us lose sight of that great call. We stop believing in what God has for us. We begin to doubt whether God can really use us, whether He really has a plan for our lives. And, 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 we, and, and because we, we doubt it, we begin to settle rather for what is second best. We, we stop dreaming. We stop pursuing the reason for which Christ pursued us. And instead, we begin to focus on the everyday nuances of life. What, what am I eating? What am I wearing? What is my plan for retirement? How's everything going to work out in the next few years? It becomes mundane. It becomes methodical. We learn to play it safe. Man, God is not a safe God. There is a decidedly dangerous side to the God that we serve. He takes us on an adventure. He stretches us. He challenges us. He takes us through valleys. He takes us through difficult times. He allows us to experience things that will cause us to keep our eyes even more fixed on him. Because ultimately he is developing us, he is changing us, he is working in us. It gives us hope when we go through the storms. God's stretching our faith. Even C.S. Lewis, and I, I can't remember the exact quote, but he says that those who experience extreme hardship are often being prepared for an extraordinary destiny. Things that you would not have been able to fulfill if you hadn't been through the process that God has for you. And so I often encourage people, just be faithful to the process that God has for your life because we trust Him. We know that He's good. We know that He's a good shepherd. That's why we can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil. That's why, because we know that His rod and His staff, they comfort us. He will give us ultimate victory. He'll prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we already know, it's like going through, it's like when you watch um, a, a tense movie, but you've already kind of, you, you've already heard about what happens in the end. And so, and so you're like, I know it's tense right now, but at least I know that all of these people make it out alive. It just kind of like diffuses the tension. Ah, oh, they're going to make it, whatever. Happens. Sometimes I have to tell myself that because I can get really into it. So I'm like, no, no, they're all going to be fine. I, I remember seeing the end. It's fine. We already know what the end is, and the end is victory. That's why we say, one of the things we say here at church a lot is that whatever happens, we win. Whatever happens, we win. Because God is involved with our lives. He is taking us through a process. But when we lose sight of that, we can be filled with dismay. We can become fearful. We can retreat back from what God has called us to do. And, and, and church, honestly, just becomes boring. It just becomes a mundane thing that we do um, every week or possibly every second week or to some of you once a month. I'm praying that Jesus helps you with that as well. But, but for some people, church has become two of the most boring hours of their week just 
ranking just above being stuck in traffic and sitting al- home alone I- during load shedding. You know, just that's it's just just a little bit better than that because at least we have some sunlight here in the morning. <laughs> and so what we do is we just settle, and we break down our our calling, the great call to adventure in this life that God has called us to. We we, we break it down to sitting in a church service every now and again. That's, that's how we limit our involvement with the great plan of redemption that God has for this world. That, that's what we do. Well, at least we go. At least we sit there and, and listen to the preaching. And that's, us not, that's not us pursuing what God has for our lives. That's not us walking out the fullness of what God has for us. That's us just fulfilling a duty. When we have the what without the why, we lose our way. When you, when you know what to do, but you don't know the why, when you've lost sight of the why, what happens is you actually lose your way. You stop walking in and pursuing the things for which Christ pursued you. And so I'm very much a why guy. <laughs> I'm all about the why. It, it, it frustrates my team sometimes because I want them to know the why and I want to take them through the full story about how I got to the why and why I believe in the why and what the why is all about and how that fits into scripture and how that fits into the whole context of redemption and how that fits into the entire plan of God for the universe and all I'm doing is asking them to stack chairs and they're like, do we really need to know this? <laughs> but I, I'm the kind of person who I don't feel like I can give my best unless I really believe in what I'm doing. I've got to believe it wholeheartedly. I can tell you that I believe wholeheartedly in what God has called us to do in this church. But that's exactly how the enemy hopes to neutralize us, to make us ineffective or ineffective. In fact, the devil wouldn't mind if you just came to church on Sundays. As long as you don't begin walking in the calling that God has for you. As long as you don't begin to discover the purpose for which he created you, he's fine. I'll just go to church. It's almost like he allows us just enough of Jesus and just enough of some religious activity to inoculate us from genuinely walking in the fullness of, of, of God's calling for our lives. It's a dangerous thing. That's, that's how he works. He wants to neutralize us and, and, and not discover the God-given destiny that we all have. But the most dangerous thing to the enemy, the most dangerous thing to the devil is when Christians begin to discover and by God's grace walk in the things for which we have been created. God has placed within us, not of our own sufficiency, but because of his grace, the ability to shape a city, to shape a nation, to influence many nations across the world, to raise up leaders and to plant churches and to do every single impossible thing that we could ever think or dream of. In fact, that's what God just keeps doing. He is in the business of surpassing what we could, what we could think or imagine. He is so much bigger and so much more able than what we could even fathom. And our biggest problem is not that we dream too big, but that we dream too small that we keep limiting what God can do. He took 11 ordinary guys and changed the world. It's part of the reason why we're sitting here today. What could we as a church, as a community, what is there that we could 
trust God for that, that he couldn't do. All things are genuinely possible. And so we don't want to be personally this expression of church for us. Man, we're making big plans because we're trusting in a big God. And our heart is not to create a system where we want to enlist you so that you can just be part of the wheels that makes the system work. Not at all. Our heart is that every single person in this church will discover and walk in the fullest measure in the destiny that God has for your life. We want to be a people-led church. The gifts that God has placed in this body, we want to see those things flourish. If God has given us a bunch of creative people, we want to see our creative ministry become incredible. If God has given us some awesome teachers, we want to see our teaching ministry flourish. If God has given us people with a heart for the lost, we want to see the lost saved in droves. If God has given us the ability to reach out to the poor and, to, and the resources to be able to bless people all over, we want to be able to do that to the fullest extent that God has for us. Ultimately, our church growth strategy is to just keep walking in the things God has purposed us for, to just keep trusting Him as we go forward, just stay in this adventure that we have been called to and watch God unfold things, watch God use us to impact a city and a nation and many more nations in this world. There's a scene in one of my favorite movies, and I remember actually showing this to our guys when we did one of our pre-launch services um, and, uh, and, and because it just, it's one of like, you know, you've got a couple of all-time favorite movies. Man, there is something about the call of God and the gospel and the adventure and the unknown that God calls you to. When he says, hey, why don't you go start a church? He doesn't tell you all of the things that you're gonna face starting a church. And, uh, and, and, and it can be a major uh, uh, challenge when you face those things. And, and, and it's like um, even Jeremiah, at one point in Jeremiah 20, he goes to God and he goes, God, I have been deceived and you deceived me. Because, because you called me to these things, and then you, told, you didn't tell me about how people were going to exclude me, how they were going to talk about me, how when, whenever they, they spoke, when my name was mentioned, they would mock me. You didn't tell me. And I wish, God, I wish I could stop speaking in your name. Because then I wouldn't have to face all of this, this conflict and all of these, this critique. And he goes, but when I stop speaking in your name, your word in my heart begins to burn like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I grow weary of holding it in, and indeed I cannot. So he's like, so I, I, when I speak, I get trouble from people, but when I don't, your word is like a fire burning within me, and it totally consumes me, and I can't help myself. I just have to speak the things that you've called me to say. And so God doesn't always reveal every part of the journey to us. He just calls us to take the next step and trust him. Take the next step and trust him. Take the next step and trust him. And as you face the difficulties, he goes, I knew about this beforehand, just trust me. And then you go, but God, why the heck is this happening? And he goes, I knew about that as well, just keep trusting in me. That's what he does. He reveals it step by step by step as we go on this adventure. And so this scene that this reminds me of is um, from a movie called The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. And uh, there's one specific scene that I'll mention in a moment that's pretty much ingrained in my head. Because whenever I hear it, I just, it, it, it's, it so just calls me, it, it, it speaks to the calling that we've received from God. So I'm going to quickly show the trailer for those of you that haven't seen the movie. Um, there's always one or two that hasn't. So uh, let's just go ahead and, uh, and watch this together real quick.
Okay, turn the sound down. But he says he wants the red one. So, uh, yeah, uh, I don't, you probably saw the scene that I was talking in there, uh, talking about in there. But it's that scene where um, he—he's this this guy, Walter Mitty, who's in this. If you haven't seen the movie, he's in this kind of very ordinary job where he catalogs photos for a magazine and uh, kind of sits down in the basement, just going through negatives and <clears throat> just working through different uh, photographs and trying to. Uh, you know, select the right cover photos, etc. And he has, you find out in the movie, all these dreams for his life that he, uh, that he never was able to fulfill. And until this photographer sends him a gift that kind of advises him on this adventure, and that uh, photographer is called Sean O'Connell. It's the guy in the photo, and uh, we can just put that photo up. That's the photo. And there's that moment where he just kind of, he just calls him and says, there's more. There's more for you to experience in this life. And it's so just that moment was just ingrained in my head as like when God steps into our lives, it's like he's the one who goes, I've got more for you. I've got more than your nine to five job. I've got more than you just raising your kids. I've got more than you just going through the motions. I've got more than you just kind of trying to make your way in the city, trying to earn enough money to make a living. I've got more for you than just surviving. I'm calling you to a great adventure where we get to experience the fullness of the reason why God created us. That's what I feel when I begin to walk and step out uh, uh, in, in the things that God has called us to do. As, a, as the pastor of this church, my heart is that each of us will answer that call. That each of us will step out. That each of us will together begin to pursue the reason for which Christ pursued us. And, and what I believe that God does when he steps into our lives is that he actually disrupts our comfort. He actually will move us uh, by, by disrupting this kind of safe little zone that we've created for ourselves and by causing things to become uncomfortable, by, by putting a longing in your heart and a stretching in your life where he begins to prepare you and equip you for the things that he's created you for. And so we really want to begin to implement ways, better ways of equipping you and preparing you and helping you discovering uh, your own purpose. God calls us to join the adventure. But many times we doubt ourselves. We doubt whether we can do it. We've just been living such ordinary lives. Is, is this adventure for me? And that's why I'm so encouraged just by the people in the Bible. Not because of how perfect they were, but because of how imperfect they were. Almost every single story in Scripture is the story of God taking imperfect, ordinary people and calling them to do impossible things. Saying, I've chosen you. That's kind of the, what, what God did for each of them. He said, come, Abraham. You're in the land of your father. You're in the land of Ur. I'm going to take you to a place that you don't even know yet. You don't even know where you're going. Just follow me. And it says, Abraham believed in God, and it was accredited to him as righteousness. The faith to say yes, even when you don't know where this road leads. God did that with Moses. When he was sitting in the wilderness looking after his father-in-law's sheep, and all of a sudden there was a burning bush and God said, I'm calling you, Moses, to go and set my people free, to go and confront Pharaoh and to lead the people out of Egypt. He did it with Gideon in the wine press. The Bible tells us that Gideon was the least in his family, that his family was the least in his tribe, and that his tribe was the least of the 12 tribes. It's pretty much you can't go lower than Gideon. And God shows up and says, Gideon, Man of valor. 
He's calling us to this adventure. He did it with James and John, Peter and Andrew, as they were fishing and mending their nets. He calls them and says, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He did it with Paul on the road to Damascus with his own religious agenda. And he says, I'm calling you out. I've chosen you to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And he says, I'll still show you. He says at one place to Ananias. Ananias doesn't even want to go pray for Paul because of what a bad rap uh, Paul had. And, and God says, don't be afraid. Go and pro- pray for him. He is my chosen vessel. And I'll still show him all the things that he will suffer for my name's sake. There's a great journey, a great adventure. It's not always easy. It's not always, it's not always just straightforward. We wish we could just walk into a venue at Anchor Church that was kind of pre- prepared for us and was ready for us and was all set up and everything. But we've got to put some work in. We've got to trust God. We've got to go step by step and do it um, each, each week. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26 to 27 says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were noble, of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is the weak in the world to shame the strong. Isn't that incredible? That actually what the re, one of the reasons why God chose us is because of just how ordinary we were. Just because there wasn't enough that was special about us for God to, to have chosen us. He chooses the things that are foolish. He chooses the things that, are, that, that are, are not the strongest, that are weak, in order to shame what is strong, what this world per, perceives as powerful. But with all of that, as God speaks into our lives, it is easy for us to feel inadequate. And Jeremiah felt inadequate. He felt like he wasn't the right choice. He was in his early 20s when God called him as a prophet. And so what we often do is that we'll disqualify ourselves from fulfilling the purpose and the plans that God has for us. Or we'll allow others to disqualify us. And I want to encourage you this morning to not disqualify yourself for the thing that Jesus died to qualify you for. To not allow others to speak into your life and to disqualify you. Some of you may feel that you haven't read the Bible enough or that you're not the kind of person that God would choose to use or that you haven't been a Christian for that long or perhaps that you've been a Christian for too long. You might feel that you're not gifted enough or intelligent enough or knowledgeable enough to do something incredible for God and to be a part of his story. And that's how Jeremiah felt. And Jeremiah 1 verse 4 tells us this. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you, God says to Jeremiah, in the womb I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth. For to all who, to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. See, God goes, you're not going out in your own strength to do this. I'm the one who's with you. And where I command, there is a shout, there is a divine call in your life that is the authority upon which you base your actions. That's what receiving a call is about. It is a divine shout of God into your life. And an analogy that I could use to help you understand what it's like is that if, if you were, for example, in the army 
and you had been enlisted in the army and you were just a private, just kind of new to the army. And at one point, you know that it's, it's supper time and you're walking to the mess hall to go and eat um, as just a private in the army. And on your way to the mess hall, you receive, you hear a shout from the general. And the general shouts out and gives you a command to go and get something out of his car. Now, the moment you hear the shout, the moment that call comes into your life, it changes everything about your life. You were headed in one direction. Now you've turned around and you're going in the other direction. You were worried about dinner and what you were going to eat. Now you're not even thinking about food. Your only desire in your heart is to fulfill the purpose that was given to you, to answer the call of the general and to go and complete his instruction. And so you turn around and you're, you're heading towards his car to do what you've been called to do. And if in that time, let's say a higher ranking officer than you, but lower than the general, let's say a major comes up to you and says, hey, where are you going? You're supposed to be going to supper. You would be within your full right to tell the major to back off. Why? Because you're acting under divine instruction. And so where people want to step into our lives and disqualify us for what God has called us to, we are in our full rights to say, I hear what you're saying, but I am going to continue pressing on to fulfill the call that God has on my life because I've received a higher call. You can tell yourself to back off. When you want to speak yourself out of God's plan for your life, when you want to talk yourself out of the, the destiny that God has for you, you can tell yourself to be quiet and to adhere to the holy calling that God has for each of us. So we've got to stop doubting ourselves, and that's what maturity looks like, to stay the course, to keep pressing on. Not that I've already attained it or am already perfected, but I press on to lay a hold of that for which Christ laid a hold of me. Our confidence is not in what we can do, it's in our righteousness in Christ and in this calling that God has for us. And I want to say that as a church, the same goes for us as a church. Because not only have we been called as individuals, personally, but we've been called as a community. God calls us to be a part of a community like this, the local church, because he has a plan for Anchor Church Joburg in the city. Now, he has a plan for every church, but ours is unique to us. This is the expression that God gave us. This is the place that God called us to be. These are the people that have been brought together with the gifts that God wanted to be in this house so that we could fulfill the things that God has for us. The same way that God gives divine authority to a, a, an individual life to fulfill his purpose, he does it for a community of people. And so we are fully convinced of the calling that God has on us for a church. So whether we're struggling to find a venue or not, whether finances are tight, whether, whether, whatever we go through, whatever we may be facing, we just keep pressing on towards the goal. We just keep walking out the things that God has called us to because it's his calling. John 15, 16, Jesus says, this is my last scripture. Jesus says, you did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Jesus chose us to bear fruit and it's a fruit that abides. It's not a temporary fruit. It's, it's a fruit that will produce after itself constantly through generations. Isn't it amazing that what we are, can be a part of as the local church in the city can affect not only this generation, but generation after generation. 
it's my, my son's fifth birthday today. And be, before the service, we kind of all just got around him like we do with all of our leaders and just prayed for him for his birthday. And, and isn't it amazing to think like the kids that are in that room right now, that they can walk out some of the things that we've deposited in them in this generation, in generations to come. That we can be a part of this adventure that, that passes on generation after generation after generation. That we can walk in the things that God has prepared for us and be a part of the journey. Paul says, let those of us who are mature think in this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it to us also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's hold true to what we have in Jesus. Let's not second guess or, or, or doubt the righteousness that we have in Christ. Let's not lose sight of the adventure that we have been called to. Let's not lose sight of the calling that God has on our lives. But like Paul says in Hebrews, or like the writer of Hebrews says, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run this race. Let us do the things that God has called us to do. God is always sending. It's in his heart. He's a God of purpose. He never does something just randomly. He always, what he does, always blesses and stretches and moves and, has, and is filled with purpose. He's always on a mission, the mission of God. And, and, and he sent his son into the world. And in the same way, Jesus said, Father, as you sent me, I am sending them. I'm sending your church. I've broken it down into these four things that I want our church to do. We want everybody in our church to, number one, know God. Number two, find freedom in the gospel. Number three, discover their destiny. And number four, make a difference. That's what we want us to, we, we want to help you discover your destiny. And we've got a plan of how we're going to do that. So that every single person here is not just attending, but fulfilling their purpose and making a difference in this city. And that's really, we're going we're gonna to finesse that. We're going to work that out and see how it will all be implemented. But we are really passionate about seeing you come alive and do the things that God has called you to do. I want to challenge you as we close this morning to think big. I want to challenge you to dream big about how we're going to reach the city and how we're going to go forward, how God is going to use us to be a blessing in people's lives. How many marriages can we see restored? How many, how many families can we see healed? How many, how, many, how many people can we see come to know Jesus because a couple of people stayed faithful to press on towards the goal? And I also want to encourage you this morning to think about the way that you see yourself. That's why the Bible says that we must work to make our calling and our election sure. Not that it isn't sure. We must just make sure that we know that it's sure. That's the work that we've got to do. We've got to pursue the purpose for which Christ pursued us. I want to challenge you on the way that you see yourself. Please don't limit yourself because of your age or because of, of your experience or because of how long you've been a Christian, but trust in the gospel. Hold fast to the calling that you have in Christ and start becoming a light in whatever sphere that you are. I was hanging out with some incredible people from a church in Portland and uh, the one guy, Ben Straub, we were hanging around and, and Portland has some great coffee shops and we went into a one coffee shop and the people there in the coffee shops are mostly just pretty, they just look mean. You know, they, they may have hipster flowery shirts on, but they also look like they want to kill you. And they're, they're upset about the fact that you've come to bother them um, in their coffee shop. And so 
I never really speak to them. I always like order my coffee, kind of I'm polite, I take my coffee and I go. And, and this guy just has this heart to just, even if it's in the smallest way, just help people connect to the heart of the Father. And so he just simply asked this, this girl behind the counter, he said to her, so how's your day been going? And she said, oh, it's been okay. And, uh, you know, ordered the coffee and whatever. And, and I would have just left it at that. I was like, hey, that's a fairly good response. <laughs> but he asked, he went a bit further and he said, has it just been okay? And she said, yeah, actually, you know, she, she's actually got a little bit of a, of a headache. She's got a concussion because she was working, a, I think, at a bar the night before. And she hit her head on a keg, which I'm not sure. I didn't ask how that happened. But she hit her head on a keg and actually got a, a concussion from it. And, she's, and he just stood there and just over the counter, he said, hey, I'm, I love to pray for people. I'm just going to quickly say, hey, Father, we just thank you that you, that you um, touch this girl right now and just heal her and just help her to feel a whole lot better. And she was so stunned. She didn't even know what to say. And it wasn't weird, it wasn't awkward. He just took his coffee and thanked her and, and moved on. And, and I realized that so quickly we can just be so wrapped up in ourselves that we begin to, we, we, we forget to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit to be a voice into other people's lives. And I'm, I'm praying for all of us that we would be encouraged to understand that every moment that we step outside of this church, that we're on mission and that we're reaching a city and that we're there to love people. You come in here to be equipped so that you can go out there and do the ministry. The ministry doesn't happen in here. It, minutes, it happens out there. And, uh, and together, we're going to pursue the purpose for which Christ has pursued us. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray together this morning.